Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Wendy. It's great to have the harp up there. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and Happy New Year again. We can still say that, I think, because um, it's not yet Chinese New Year. When we get to eat lots of dumplings, anyone excited about next Sunday? Maybe just me. Maybe I'm the only one. So my name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to add my word of welcome to what Alyssa said at the start of the service. As Justin mentioned, today we're starting a new sermon series on Sabbath. So what does that word mean? What does Sabbath mean? Well, we get our English word Sabbath from the Hebrew Shabbat, which literally means to cease, to desist, to quit, to stop. One dictionary definition of Sabbath is that it's a day of religious observance and abstinence from work kept by Jews from Friday evening to Saturday evening and by most Christians on Sunday. Most Christians? Hmm. I'm not so sure. Now, some of you grew up keeping Sabbath religiously. Maybe you called it the Lord's Day. Others of you may not have any real experience of this. Well, in order to wrap your hand, head around Sabbath, you can start to think of Sabbath as rest. It's more than that, but, but that's a good place to start. We know, most of the time, I think we accept that we cannot work constantly, that we need rest. Sabbath is in the Bible, that's where we get Sabbath from, but it's also common sense. People know this no matter what tradition, what religion, or no religion they come from. If we do not rest, we will not be able to function well. We won't perform as we might. But Sabbath isn't utilitarian. It's not a means of getting what you want, recharging in order to do more. Sabbath begins with who God is. It began at creation. And as we respond to God's invitation, we just sang about that, right? Jesus is calling. Well, he's calling us to root ourselves in his grace and in his truth. He's calling us to ground our very identity in who he is. And he says that this will enable us to flourish in the unburdened creativity and goodness of the Holy Spirit. So that's the invitation this morning, and that's what I hope and pray will be something all of us experience personally as we explore Sabbath in this series. So let's pray before we open Scripture. Holy Spirit, we need that unburdened creativity. We need that renewal, that lightness that only you can guide us into. We need that deep rest, not just the rest of collapsing on a Friday afternoon when we get home from work. We need your grace. And so as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Show us the way that you're calling us to go together. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first reading is from Genesis, chapter 1, verse 31 to 2, verse 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. 
And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And then from Mark 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, and that's Jesus referring to himself, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last Sunday we heard testimonies from four people in our congregation about how hard things they experienced during the pandemic were and about their hopes for this new year. And I found those stories, those testimonies to be profoundly moving. And as I listened to them a second time, a few days ago, I noticed a theme in all of them. And that was the experience of a kind of restlessness. And I think that's something we can probably all relate to at a certain level. We are restless in ourselves, in our society. We are restless in our churches. And we feel uncertainty, we feel doubt about the future. And we have felt especially anxious these past three years due to the isolation and the separation that was forced upon us. Fractured relationships, fractured churches. And during the pandemic, as we experienced work, all the boundaries that we were used to melted away. For many of us, work came home and we didn't know where to draw the line. And so we worked all the time. During COVID, people burned out at unprecedented rates. And it's not over. I think there's, we've entered a new phase where we've kind of come out of the pandemic, but we're still experiencing its aftershocks. And so we've been restless like never before. Some of us worked harder to make up for it, trying to find our identity in our jobs, our studies, and at the same time, looking to God for a certain kind of success, trying to earn God's approval in a way. And I heard all of that last Sunday in the testimonies that were presented to us. But the four of you who spoke also spoke of hope. Annabelle Edwards shared a Bible verse in which Jesus invites us to give, uh, give him our worries and to trust him. And that's an invitation that lies at the heart of Sabbath. And it's really God's grace to us. At the heart of Sabbath is Jesus calling us to rest in him. And I love Tim Keller's definition of Sabbath. He says that the purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to be more productive, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy God to enjoy life in general, and to enjoy what you've accomplished in the world through his help and the freedom you have in the gospel. 
the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. The Sabbath is a sign of the hope we have in the world to come. That's what Sabbath can do for us. It leads us into that freedom. It creates a pattern in our lives that allows us to focus on God and to experience the freedom of glorifying and enjoying him and all that he has given us. The origin of Sabbath comes from what God did at creation. At the end of Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. God was not tired, let's be clear. He did not need a break. So why stop then? Well, he also didn't need to pace himself and to make creation happen in stages. He could have done it all at once with a kind of efficiency we long for, perhaps. But instead, he does it slowly for him. He gives us a natural order, a pattern for our benefit. His resting seems to have had more to do with celebrating the completion of creation and enjoying its goodness than anything resembling recovery from work. And if you read the whole of Genesis 1, you, can't, you just cannot miss its structure. There was evening and there was morning, day and then night, and it was good. But the seventh day in particular was blessed. God set that day apart. That's what it means when it says it was holy. It had a particular purpose. Abraham Heschel, the great Polish-American rabbi and Jewish theologian, says God made the seventh day so he could soak in his own goodness. And so we can too. But God doesn't say anything here in Genesis about the need to keep Sabbath. There's no command. So when did Sabbath become a requirement then? Well, that happened with Moses. After God redeemed his people, freeing them from slavery in Egypt, he gave them the law, these guidelines, these words of instruction. He gave them to the people of God at Mount Sinai. And the Ten Commandments are the best-known part of the Jewish law, and we actually have two versions of them in the Old Testament. In Exodus 20, we read, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So echoes clearly of Genesis 2, but now a command also. And then in Deuteronomy 5, we get the second list of the Ten Commandments. And the only real difference in the whole list is in the fourth commandment about Sabbath. The first part is the same, but then it says, Remember you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So in the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments, creation is the basis for Sabbath. 
But in Deuteronomy, there's something new. It says, remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought you out of there. It's not referring back to creation anymore, but it's talking about redemption. And so here, Sabbath points to a God who frees us from the captivity of various things that hold us back, that hold us down. First of all, our self-centeredness, our sinful nature, but also difficult circumstances in our lives. Sabbath leads us into God's freedom. So Sabbath is rooted in who God is and what he has done, particularly in the two greatest acts of God in history, his once and for all creation of the world and then his unfolding redemption. We find our origins in God as creator. We know as Christians, we view life differently in this regard. We are made in God's good image. But we also remember what God has done for us as our redeemer. And we see that developing over history. And that history is recorded in scripture. And so the Exodus was this first great defining moment in the story of God's people and of their redemption. It was his dramatic intervention in the world, showing his love for us. It also points ahead to Christ and his coming once and for all redemption. And so one version of Sabbath looks back to creation. The other looks forward to how God makes us his new creation not just individually, but together as his church, the body of Christ. In Jewish homes, where they observe the instruction of Jewish law, on Friday evening, when Sabbath begins, they light two candles, one for each of these versions of the Ten Commandments, one for the command to obey Sabbath in light of creation and another in light of redemption. If you think about it, that's something we do on Sunday mornings also. We're keeping Sabbath together right now by looking for illumination in God's word as we remember who he is and what he has done for us. We also look for God's word to light up our path the path ahead of us, the future, because he is our redeemer and our sustainer. He is our hope in what lies ahead. And we practice this in our day-to-day lives also. We're not Orthodox Jews, but every time you share a story of how God has been faithful in your life or remind someone of his provision over coffee at Starbucks or when you're going for a walk with a friend, you can think of it as like you've lit a candle for them. And every time you ask someone, where is God showing up in your life right now? Or you tell them a story of his unfolding redemption in your life, you're lighting a candle too. So I think of those stories we heard last Sunday from Abby and Bruce and Frank and Annabelle. I think of them as encouragement like that. But not staying there in our history as a church, I guess. I think the Holy Spirit means for them to have a ripple effect. 
Sabbath means that we stop doing other things and start paying attention to God in a new way. Sabbath is an opening. It's an opportunity to grow in our love of God and others. We read and remember God's story. We tell each other our stories. How are you, this past week, or maybe looking ahead to the coming week, meeting with a friend, how could you light that candle? How could you be, in this season of epiphany, how could you be the light that points to hope? As we move from our Old Testament reading to what we saw in the New Testament, in Mark's Gospel, Sabbath changes. When Jesus comes to fulfill the law, he frees us from its weight. In Mark 2, Jesus and his disciples break the law. It may not seem like a big deal to us, but it would have been huge and totally wrong in the eyes of the Pharisees. They pick grain. And so the Pharisees are outraged, but Jesus rebukes them and he says that he himself is Lord of the Sabbath. So does that mean that we don't have to obey the fourth commandment as Christians, as people of the new covenant? That's what testament means. It means covenant. That we don't actually need to keep Sabbath, that this command is no longer applicable? Well, yes, it does in a way. Or at least we don't have to keep Sabbath like Orthodox Jews do. But Jesus also says elsewhere, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus frees us from the law, but a certain kind of law. You might call it the ceremonial law. But God's moral law is unchanging, a deeper law. So we're left with Jesus saying, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath which seems a little cryptic. Couldn't he be more clear, you have to ask? I think basically he's saying here that the Sabbath is meant to serve people rather than people serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us, for human flourishing, not so that we would be obligated to conform to the Sabbath. And so Jesus, in his teaching, in his life, turns the religious order upside down. It's no longer about performance. Jesus says, I come first. And the whole point of Sabbath is to help you live in freedom, not to weigh you down. In Christ, we are free from the law, but we have not always lived that way. I remember being in Jerusalem 25 years ago, and taking the elevator in a building on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. And there were two elevators, and at first I didn't understand. One, I later realized, came to stop at every floor so Orthodox Jews didn't have to work on the Sabbath by pressing the elevator buttons. The other elevator was for people like me, Goyim, Gentiles, or for secular Jews. I got on that one, figuring I'd be alone, because this this building had a lot of Orthodox Jews, the whole neighborhood did. But no, 
all these Orthodox Jews were in a big hurry, it turned out, on Sabbath. But they could not press the buttons in the Orthodox Jewish elevator, so they rushed into the elevator I had entered, and they asked me to press the buttons. (laughs) Now, Christians have been just as legalistic. In the 19th century, here in Canada, there were a lot of what we call or used to call Sabbatarians. A Sabbatarian was a Christian fighting for Sabbath observance in society, for everything to be shut down on the Lord's Day. And so this poster gives you an idea of the kinds of rules and regulations Sabbatarians were trying to have enforced. Among other things, hunting, fishing, and bathing, the dangerous act of bathing, were forbidden on Sundays. 150 years ago, things looked very different. Nothing was open for business on the Lord's Day. Even streetcars weren't allowed to operate. Guelph had streetcars back then. Did you know that? And on February 19th, 1912, the Lord's Day Alliance succeeded in getting tobogganing banned on Sundays in Toronto. Look at these people tobogganing in Christie Pits in downtown Toronto. What harm are they doing? I hate to admit it, but much of this came from Scottish Presbyterians. It's not surprising that when you hear the word Presbyterian in our popular culture, which you rarely will, it's synonymous for joyless, for the end of the party, not its beginning. The story of one famous Scottish Presbyterian Sabbatarian is told in one of my favorite films, Chariots of Fire. It's about two British athletes at the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. Eric Little and Harold Abrams were rivals in the 100-meter sprint. But when Little discovered that a heat for the 100-meters race was being held on a Sunday, he dropped out. He would not compete on the Lord's Day. And Abrams went on to win the gold medal in the 100 meters. Now, Eric Little was an ambitious man. He wanted to win. He had trained for years. But he also knew that it's no good to get the whole world to win everything if you lose your soul in the process, if you turn away from God and lose sight of him. Little was able to change races, and he won a gold medal for Scotland in the 400 meters. And God honored his faithfulness. Eric Little shows us the good side of being a Sabbatarian, and he went on to fulfill his life's calling, becoming a missionary to China and sharing the gospel with many there. There's one remarkable scene in Chariots of Fire that points to the rest that God wants us to enjoy. Harold Abrams, Eric Little's rival, is about to run a 100-meter race. Not at the Olympics, it was before that. And as he prepares, he tells his trainer, he, he says to him, he explains really what he's feeling, what he's going through, preparing for that race. He says, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that track, a corridor four feet wide, and I will have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Those are words of desperation. 
But I think he's asking a question that's familiar to us, a question that lies at the heart of all human restlessness that drives all of our striving. Will I earn God's favor or man's favor? Will I be favored? Will I be loved? Am I worth anything? The Apostle Paul tries to answer that question in Ephesians when he writes, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. Apart from Christ, everyone is trying to find something to make their life significant. We're all doing that. Maybe it's success in your career or in school. It might be the goodness of your life, your character, some image you have of yourself, or pleasing your parents or some other authority figure. Maybe you're looking for meaning in your friendships, in your wealth, in your family, or some other passion you have. But whatever it is, apart from Jesus, it's going to weigh you down. It will be a heaviness that you cannot lift off of your chest. And whether you achieve it or not, you will still not be satisfied. It's a life of working, performing, and pretending. It's not freedom, that's for sure. The truth is that the New Testament does not prohibit running races on Sundays. It doesn't specify what we can and cannot do on the Lord's Day. Scripture teaches that we are saved by grace, not by our own effort. And we are promised that the Holy Spirit will guide us as we work out our freedom in Christ in fellowship, in community, a community like this church. But God still calls us to stop, to rest, and to focus on him and to do that together. In Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, the early Christians met together on the first day of the week, Sunday, because on that day, Christ rose from the dead. And so Sabbath should be life-giving. A number of years ago, we were driving up to Lake Huron as a family, and we passed through Mennonite country, as you do if you're going from Guelph in that direction. And we saw families gathered at tables in front of one farm after another. Their kids playing out in the fields. They were spending the whole day together. We saw signs that said, eggs, $2. This was a long time ago. <laughs> eggs, $2, not for sale on Sunday. All of us, all five of us had headphones or earbuds on. I was listening to an audiobook, a biography of Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. Jobs had a vision for the, the way that technology, beyond the personal computer, technology that fit, that astounded us, could create a way to meet all of our digital, need, all of our digital needs and perhaps all of our needs, period. And as I listened to the history of our gadgets, on one of those gadgets, I looked out at those Mennonite families gathered together, eating together, enjoying a simple Sunday afternoon. And I wondered about God's call to practice Sabbath, to set apart time, and to live in Christian community. 
Sabbath is no longer defined by a list of rules for us, but the command to love God and to love others remains. Have we obeyed it? It's not the technology. It's our unwillingness to stop, to turn it off. We seem all too ready, all too willing to settle for isolation, for less than God intended. But the Holy Spirit insistently wants to renovate and restore us. So how do you rest? This is a question I'm going to ask every week of this series. Have you thought about how you rest? Some of us maybe made New Year's Year's resolutions. Some of us did not. Rest should be at the heart of what you're trying to do this year. I think more and more of us simply do not know how to rest. In our free time, we turn automatically to screens, seeking something, anything, but we don't rest. We are not refreshed. The Amish and the Orthodox Jews are onto something. Leave your car, leave your phone at home, go for a walk and look up at the sky, spend time among the trees, and God will restore your soul as you do that. The verse that Annabelle quoted last Sunday actually says, look at the birds of the air, see how the flowers of the field grow. I think Jesus means that. He's saying, get off social media. Go outside and pay attention and learn from all that I have provided. After all, he spent the first Sabbath enjoying the goodness and beauty of creation as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we should do that too. We should celebrate. John Ortberg puts it so well, I think. He writes, he encourages us to devote a specific day to acts of celebration so that joy will infuse your life. One day a week, take time to eat food you love to eat, not food you microwave. Listen to music that moves your soul. Play a sport that stretches you. Read books that refresh your spirit. Wear clothes that make you happy. Surround yourself with beauty. And as you do this, thank God for his wonderful goodness. Reflect on what a gracious God he is to a thought of these gifts. Take the time. So let me make five suggestions for how you could keep Sabbath in your life. And I would love it if this week you would send me an email telling me how you practice Sabbath. I know many, perhaps all of you do, What are the ways that you found that work for you? I would love in our small groups as well to be talking about this, to be encouraging one another, maybe even holding one another accountable. So here are five suggestions. The first one is participate in Christian community and make Sunday worship a weekly commitment because that is the basic Sabbath act. It's gathering. Now, I know some pastors have made that appeal post-pandemic in kind of an assertive way. I'm not going to do that for those of you who are online. But I think also there is a call here for us 
now that we're emerging from the pandemic, to say, have we lost the habit? How can we regain the habit? So join us in rain or shine when you're ready. Join us whether you're having a good day or a bad day. And it will become a rhythm of God's grace in your life. Secondly, stop working on the Sabbath, whether it's Sunday or another day. For you, that might mean not checking your phone, not going on a computer, not doing housework or shopping or errands. Thirdly, enjoy recreation, recreation. Something as simple as going for a walk, going skating, playing a game, sharing a meal with friends as our young adults are going to after the service today at the Sitzma's home. And then fourth, enjoy devotion. Read your Bible. Pray. Read a good Christian book, maybe a book about Sabbath. If you are a young family here today, there's a book by Andy Crouch called TechWise Family, which talks about dealing with technology, helping your kids at the earliest age, setting boundaries so that they can flourish. Fifth, serve others. Practice hospitality. I'm sure Justin and Lindsay are going to enjoy lunch today, but they're serving more than receiving today. And we take turns on that, don't we? Sometimes we receive, sometimes we give. But at the heart of Sabbath, I think, is serving others, not just crashing on the couch with a good book. Reach out to someone in need in the time you've opened up. Give someone a gift. Offer encouragement. Pick up the phone, make a call. And importantly, it's when we keep Sabbath that we get perspective on our own grievances, our own disappointments. It's when we begin to move towards repentance, when we can pursue reconciliation. When you are too busy to think about these things, you will be stuck in your insistence that you are right. So Sabbath actually undermines our pride and it's conducive to justice too. You know, we, we think back to the days when shops were closed on Sunday as being like another universe. But there was justice in that. If you're in retail, you know the pressure on you to work all the time. So I've said enjoy these things on this list of five, but I know it's not easy. It requires discipline. And yes, we need the, the habit and the structure of Sabbath in our lives, but what we need even more and what that structure is meant to nurture is the grace of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, Paul calls the Sabbath a shadow of things to come. And we know when we see a shadow, we only see a shadow because there's light behind it. Paul invites us to look beyond the Sabbath, to see what is to come. He says the reality is found in Christ who shines beyond it. And he writes, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of debt, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He's saying that we don't need to be restless anymore. We don't need to work to earn God's favor. We don't need to have that picture of God in our mind that he's watching us, waiting for us to fail. We don't need to prove ourselves to him or to make something of our lives for him or anyone else. We don't have this burden of guilt, of debt any longer. Jesus says that we're free, the deep freedom we need because of his work at the cross. It's the greatest labor of love in human history. The Son of God laid down his life so we could rest in his grace and come home to our Heavenly Father. And so Sabbath is God's gift to us, not our achievement, but only his gift. Do you want to receive it? To receive his grace and his love today? Then look to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. He promises to provide rest for your soul now and forevermore. Amen.